Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Maybe. How we doing? There we go. How we doing, church? Good, man. It's fine. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm glad you're here. I don't even care if it's because you want to use RAC instead of your own. That's cool. Like, I'm fine with it. Uh, my name is Peter. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we're, uh, we're continuing on our series in the book of Mark today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your devices, feel free to open there to Mark, Mark chapter 7. Before uh, we do, I want to, uh, before we get to that, I want to tell you about my day uh, yesterday. Yesterday was the Valley Finals for Swim, which was great. Okay, cool. One of you is there. Um, and uh, so this is what they do. So every single year, they, uh, they, they try to figure out the hottest weekend of the year, and they put Valley Finals on that weekend, right? And so, uh, so some of my boys got the opportunity to, to swim in finals, and, and it's, it's fun, and it's exciting, and there's, you know, hundreds of kids who are there, all of whom have worked really hard to try to get there, and uh, some of the best swimmers, right, from, from the South Valley, and really, really ex- uh, exciting to, to be a part of. And so, man, we found out our kids had made finals. We're like, awesome, let's go. It's going to be exciting. Then we looked at the temperature, like this is a terrible idea for us to do that. Uh, and so I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. So yesterday, uh, my alarm went off at 5.45 a.m. Uh, on a Saturday. Um, and for those of you in here who are like, that's not that early, I don't care. Like, I don't care if you don't think that's early. That's early to me, okay? So 5.45, my alarm went off, and I wasn't happy about it. Um, but, uh, but we threw the kids in the car. I'm drinking coffee to make sure I'm at least, like, amiable, nice to some people, right? And, uh, and so we get over to Reedley at, uh, at 7.15 for our kids to, do, to warm up for swim, right? Now, I don't understand this concept of warming up at 7.15 in the morning when you don't swim until like 11 o'clock later on that day. Like, it doesn't make sense to me, right? But for whatever reason, uh, 7.15, right? They warm up for 15 minutes. It's then 7.30, and we have to wait for two hours for the swim meet to start, right? And it's at this point, it's like a balmy 85 degrees, like not that big of a deal, okay? And so in that two hours, I'm like, you know, I'm good. I've had my coffee. I'm kind. I'm amiable. And so then all of the races begin to start. And, and like I said, these are some of the fastest kids. These are, this is the end of the year, last swims. In the year. Like everything should be organized. Like should be just dialed in. Like put kids on, like get kids on the block, get them in the pool, like conveyor belt this thing. Let's get us out of here before it hits 107 degrees yesterday, right? And so... We start to notice that things are just kind of moving a little bit slow. Like, by a little bit slow, I mean a lot slow. And it's not because the kids are slow. It's because the the organization, like, there was just some chaos behind the scenes. They're trying to get the kids lined up into the right lane and all that stuff. And so we're just, like, waiting and waiting. And then another race goes. And we're waiting and waiting. And all the time we're waiting, it is getting hotter and hotter and hotter and more and more and more crowded, right? And then, like, I've got some of my, my younger kids with us who, who they didn't qualify for finals, but, hey, you got to come sit in the heat with us because family bonding, right? And so kids are sitting on my lap, and, like, they're sweating, and I'm sweating, and there's, like, strangers next to me who are touching me, and they're sweating. Like, and I was just like, this is not exciting for me at all, right? And so then, like, like legitimately we were there for, I think, eight and a half hours yesterday. And like, I, so if you're thinking about swim, it's a great experience for your kids. Like, make sure you do. No, so we're going through, 
and I'm just getting more and more frustrated, right? Because I'm like, this is like, like I, I value efficiency over everything but Jesus, I'm pretty sure. Like I think it's Jesus efficient, efficiency and then my family and friends after that. And so like, like, like efficiency, like if you could be efficient at something, you be efficient at something, right? Like I'm going to prove it later. We're going to the beach later on today. Like watch how efficiently I get to the beach, right? Like I'm going to like, you got to pee, there's a bottle, right? You're hungry, there's nuggets on the floor, like, let's get through. Um, and so, like, it's just killing me inside. And so I think to myself, it's like probably 11 o'clock at this point, and we're not even halfway done with the meat. And I'm thinking, okay, I have an option at this point in my life, right? At this point in the day, not my life, it's not that big of a deal. But at this point in my day, like, am I going to be, like, one person on Saturday and be grumpy and angry and like if someone bumped into me at one point and I just wanted to like shove him like it's like that point right like am I going to be one person on Saturday and then walk into church on Sunday and just be like hey brother how are you like we, we I only hug on Saturdays when people aren't sweaty you know what I mean and and like like am I going to be one person on Saturday and Sunday come and and teach and and be on stage and talk about how great you know Christianity is and man we love Jesus and he's renewed my heart and all like, am I going to be those two different people? And so I was like, well, I'm not going to be the grumpy one, but I don't have to be nice to anybody either. So I'm just going to sit in my tent where there's like a little fan with a mister. I'm just going to sit there and be a little bit upset, but at least I won't do any damage to the kingdom, right? Like that's, that's where I was at at the end of the day yesterday. But this really is an issue, not, not it being hot and sweaty and sticky and people touching me. Um, the issue is, the issue that we have in the Western church, the, one of the biggest issues we have in the Western church is that we act one way on a Saturday and then we turn around on Sunday and act completely and totally differently, right? And we all have those days and it's okay to be frustrated at times. Like I'm not saying don't be frustrated, be frustrated, but your actions that pour out of that frustration really are going to dictate how it is that people perceive you. Are you living a life of authenticity or are you living a life of a hypocrite? Because the reality is that some of you got in a fight with your spouse as you were on the way here this morning. I don't know, I, like I can see when you elbow your spouse, so I don't want to see you guys exchange glances or elbow each other or whatever, right? But, but I know that some of you, even on the way here this morning, like, man, someone was stopped at that green light for a second longer than they should have, and the husband said something because inefficiency, and the wife was like, maybe they were on the way to the hospital, and they clearly weren't, but that's just why we get frustrated, ladies, Okay. And there may, but then you walked on here, man, everything's great. Everything's fine. Man, our family, look, they even, we combed their hair this morning. They are shiny and beautiful and perfect. And we have our, look, we even carried our physical Bibles with us today, not just the ones on our phone. Like we are that Christian this morning. But then, so we're in here, we're shaking hands. How are you? I love you, brother, right? How are things? Oh, did you read Genesis? Whatever. And then you leave here, and the same thing is true as when you came, is that you are a completely and totally different person when you're not on our campus or not in your small groups or not, you know, coming for a Wednesday night dinner or, or, or whatever. Right? I heard a story one time about a grouchy old man who was teaching a boy's Sunday school class. And uh, um, he wanted to help the, the, the kids understand what a Christian was. So he asked them a question. He asked, why do people call me a Christian? So the grouchy old man said. And the young boy thought for a second, very thoughtful. 
And then he said, maybe it's because they haven't met you yet, right? <laughs> like, and it's funny, but also terrifying at the same time, right? Because that tends to be the reality oftentimes of the Western church. Even, like, even if we don't try to, we have adopted the moniker, we have adopted the name of hypocrite. Christians and hypocrite tend to go hand in hand, like, throughout society, Like, this should never be the case. If you identify as a Christian, then there should be no doubt in everyone's mind, whether they know you as an acquaintance or you are their absolute and total best friend, that you are indeed a Christian, a Christ follower, someone who bears the name of Jesus. But when believers are inauthentic, when believers are hypocrites, we have an issue, right? And I'm not talking about people who are called hypocrites but are actually trying to work out their faith and that sort of thing. I'm talking about people who literally become a different person as soon as they walk onto our patio outside and then become a different person as soon as they walk off our patio. That's not healthy. That's not helpful to the name of Christ. And Jesus actually has something to say about it to the Pharisees in Mark 7. This is what it says starting in verse 1. It says, The Pharisees had some of the teachers of the law, or the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That's unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Too often, who we claim to be and who we actually are are miles apart miles apart. And this is when we become, as I said earlier, hypocrites. If you do a a word study on the word hypocrite, it's actually really, really fascinating. It's from the ancient Greek language. Uh, When when I went through high school, I was in in drama, a drama class, uh, not I wasn't like involved in all the high school drama. I was in a drama class. Um, And um, you had to learn, we had to learn a bunch of like drama history, as it were. And so drama and plays and different things like that were really made popular back in the Greek culture. And one of the issues was, is that in that culture, like hundreds and thousands of people would show up to see these people who were just in a little play. No sound system, no, no anything like that, no cameras so you can make faces big or anything like that. So one of the things that they did that the Greeks adopted was wearing of masks when they were doing plays. And the masks would be really, really big. And so in in order to show that somebody was sad, they would put on like a big frowny face mask, right? Like a big frowny face mask. And then they would say their lines. And to show they were happy, they'd put on a really big smiley face mask, as it were. And so these these actors were literally called hypocritos. Hypocrites. Literally, one who wears a mask. Like that's where that word comes from. Obviously, we use the word today to refer to people who pretend to be one thing when they're actually something, something else, right? People who pretend to be your friend while stabbing you in the back are hypocrites. People who live one way at church and another way at home are hypocrites. People who, who attempt to do wicked and evil things under the radar while acting like all is well are hypocrites. And the unfortunate piece of all of this is that too many people bear the name of Jesus and are also hypocrites, They have 
come to Jerusalem at this point, like these religious leaders, as it says in verses 1 and 2, they, they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus has an encounter with these people. See, the, the term hypocrite, this is nothing new. Like people acting one way and, and believing something else are, are too, like, like it's, it's been going on obviously since biblical times. And so these people, they come from Jerusalem, they come to find fault in Jesus, to, to watch him and see what is it that he's doing wrong so then they can point it out to other people and discredit him as a teacher. And so they arrive and they begin to watch him. And it doesn't take long for them to be able to find something to complain about. All right, so these men here, they, they see Jesus' disciples eating food without washing their hands, and they're offended. And it's not because they got, like, dirty fingernails. They didn't just, like, come out from fishing and have, like, fish oil and fish guts all over their hands and are savages and eating and all that. It has nothing to do with how literally clean their hands are. Okay, these Pharisees, they attack Jesus over this issue. But then Jesus, he's going to turn the tables on them. They think this issue is one of, of clean hands, but Jesus shows them the issue is really about clean hearts. That's what he wants to point them out. And so as these Pharisees and scribes watch Jesus and watch his men, they notice, man, you didn't wash your hands before you ate. And so when they saw this, they found fault. Okay? So this, again, nothing to do with clean hands, everything to do with ceremonial washing, ceremonially clean. Okay, and, and it, you notice it mentioned the marketplace, right, when we were re reading through the passage. When they returned from the marketplace, they had to be so, they, they wanted to make sure they were very ceremonial clean, because as they were in the marketplace, they could have brushed up or touched a Gentile who was also unclean, right? They knew that those people weren't ceremonial, ceremonially clean. And so because they were unclean and they got touched by that person, they are now by default unclean. It was kind of like spiritual cooties at that point, right? Like, oh, you gave me cooties. Now I'm unclean. Now I got to get all of this taken care of. So after they had been to the marketplace, after all of these like ceremonial washing had to happen. And so for the Jews and all the religious people, everything revolved around ritual. Everything did. John MacArthur, he, uh, he describes it this way. He wrote, this washing had nothing to do with cleaning dirty hands, but with ceremonial rinsing. The ceremony involved someone pouring water out of a jar onto another's hands, their fingers pointing up. As long as the water dripped off at the wrist, the person could proceed to the next step. He then had water poured over both his hands with fingers pointing down. Then each hand was to be rubbed with the fist of the other hand. This is the ceremonial washing. Rules. It's actually said that there's, there's one Jewish, Jewish rabbi who was arrested by the Romans and he nearly died from dehydration in prison because he used his ration of water to consistently try and clean his hands correctly and he couldn't do it correctly. So he was using all of it. Like that's how important these rituals were to these people. And according to Mark even, right, they not only had rules about their hands, they also had elaborate rules about washing dishes, right, pots, pans, plates, kettles, right, and it wasn't just because there was a particular way to load the dishwasher, as some of you were like, that's not weird, I load the dishwasher in a very specific way every single, no, this is ceremonially clean, ceremonial, I love when I talk about loading the dishwasher because all the type A's in the room are like, yep, amen, right, I unloaded it last night after someone else loaded it wrong, um, 
So they had elaborate rules about all of this stuff. And so there's like this oral history called, called the Jewish Mishnah. It's, it's a comp- compilation of Jewish oral laws made around 200 AD, so after Jesus died. And there's all these laws that the rabbis got together, and they're like, let's make more rules to make sure that our other rules are protected. Surrounding ceremonial washing alone, it's over 35 pages of how to wash correctly. It's absolute mind, like, like it's mind-blowing. The problem was is that the rules were not from God. The rules were from man. They were simply the tradition of the elders, as Mark says. And these traditions, they all came into being from good intentions. In the same way that when people walk onto our campus, they don't want to burden other people with the actual issues in their life. And so because of that, they're like, things are great, brother. And we just have that idea in our head, like, well, if I can just pretend like I have it all together, like, fake it until I make it, right? Like, if I can just pretend like things are good, eventually things actually will be good. The Mishnah actually says that, that the tradition is a fence around the law. So in order to protect the law from people, the ancient Jews, they added to the law. They put more and more traditions around that. They added restrictions beyond the letter of the law to make sure that no one, you can't even come close to the law because you're going to do all of these, these other things. The Jewish, believer, the, the Jewish leaders believed that their traditions helped people better obey the law, and, and they believed their traditions protected that law. Like, there's, there's some crazy fences around the law. Let me share a couple of them with you, like how ridiculous these traditions got. So, for example, looking in the mirror was forbidden, right? Here's why. Because if you looked in the mirror on a Sabbath and saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull that gray hair, and then it will be deemed work, right? That's one. Don't elbow your spouse on that one either, right? Like, don't you stop pulling your gray hairs out. Here's another one. Uh, you might be, uh, you, you couldn't wear false teeth ever, you can't wear false teeth because if they fell out and you picked them up on the Sabbath, it would be called working, right? Like bending over and picking up your false teeth. Here's my favorite one that was like, we're going to, man, we're, we're going to do our best to just really bend this rule, right? You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't carry a handkerchief with you, right? Like you couldn't put, like if you had to blow your nose, you couldn't carry a handkerchief with you. And so what they did instead was they said, you know, but what you can do is you can wear a handkerchief as clothing, though. And so as long as it was clothing, that was fine. You could carry that around. So they would tie the handkerchief around their neck, and any time they had to blow it, they could blow their nose. But they couldn't pick it up to blow their nose because, again, work. And then my favorite one is that, that you were allowed to spit on the ground, but you had to be careful where you spat. Because if you spit on the ground and then you want to make sure that nobody else stepped in your spit and you kind of like rubbed it into the ground, you were, quote, cultivating soil at that point and would be, it would be deemed as work. Like this is how ridiculous these traditions got. Like this is how ridiculous these rules had become. And again, the problem with their rules is that these rules weren't from God. These rules are from, from man. Their rules were not God's rules. They were, they were from men seeking to, control over, seeking to control other men. And so one of the things that we have to remember, one of the big reasons that we want to make sure we're reading our Bible outside of it being God's special revelation to us, everything we need for salvation and all that stuff, 
is that we need to know where the Bible speaks and where the Bible is silent. Because if we don't know where the Bible speaks, then we'll start believing traditions that simply are not the word of God. That's what happened here. Is that these people didn't know the word of God well enough and respected the rabbis enough to be able to just say, you know what, I'm going to listen to the rabbis. We're good little Jews. We're going to figure this whole thing out, right? We're going to stay away from the law. Like these people, of these men of faith have told us that we need to stay away from the law. So we're going to do all of these ridiculous traditions that soon got put into place. But where the Bible is silent on things, we have liberty and we have freedom in those things. So when God says do something, do it. When God says don't, see, don't do something, don't do it. If God doesn't speak, you have liberty. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says all things are lawful unto me. Everything is lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are not good. All things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So everything's cool. Everything's fine, but that doesn't mean everything is good. So I do have some liberty here, especially where God is silent. So these men at this point, the Pharisees, they're upset with Jesus because his disciples don't perform these ritual washings of the Jews. And so then in these next couple of verses, Jesus is going to reveal the hypocrisy of their hearts, starting in verse 6. It says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let, you, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to, put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, we'll get to that word in a second, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So in verses 6 through 9 here, Jesus condemns their legalism. He accuses the men of being hypocrites outwardly. He quotes Isaiah 29, 13 to them and accuses them of elevating their traditions to the point that they carry more weight than the word of God. Like going back to that, that book, that oral history of Jewish law, the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah actually says, it records, it says in the Mishnah, it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself. So as long as the rabbi says it, you're good, even if it contradicts actual scripture. So crazy this has gotten. And in verse 8, he even tells them they've let go of the commands of God in favor of their own man-made rules and tradition. In verse 9, in some translation, he tells them that, that they have actually rejected the commands of God so they can keep their traditions. Jesus condemns their hypocrisy to their face, rebukes them to their face openly. You've missed the mark. You're off. These men are legalists to the nth degree, right? They teach the people that the way to be right with God is to keep all of the rules. And not just God's rules, our rules too, our rules as well. Like if you've ever read through the, the, the books of law or like read through Leviticus, like how difficult it already was to be a Jewish person 
who was clean, like a Jewish person, who, who was going to follow every, like, it's hard enough. And then on top of that, they're like, also, but here's all these other rules on top of those rules. Like, it would have been absolutely impossible. But if you're good enough, if you follow all of these rules, then maybe God will accept you. So Jesus at this point, not only does he completely and totally condemn their legalism, he also exposes the liberty that they are taking with the law. Because he's like, hey, not only are you, are you saying you have to do all of these things, but on top of that, you're also taking liberties with it as well. In verses 10 through 13, Jesus, he completely and totally blows the lid off of one of the traditions that allows them to kind of sidestep a commandment. Right, it talks about the Ten Commandments in there, Exodus chapter 20, for those of you looking for it. But Jesus talks about this practice called Corban. Okay? And Corban was, like, essentially that word means a gift offered to God. Think like tithes or offerings or, you know, you bought a bunch of stuff that you're going to dedicate or dedicate, that you're going you're gonna to donate to the church, right? Like new stuff that you're going to donate to the church, not like old junky stuff that you're going to either throw away in the trash or give to the church. Like, don't do that, please. Okay, but that was the idea of Corbin, this, this stuff that is holy, that is set aside, that we are going to give now for, for holy purposes. And the commandments are very clear, last I checked, when it says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you in Exodus twenty twelve. Very clear. And beyond that, in Exodus 21, it also talks about that you, anything that your parents need, you should supply for them. You should take care of your parents' needs when they are aging. And for the most part, I think we still believe that today. Like if my mom and dad are, are struggling in some way financially or whatever, especially as they're getting older, yeah, I want to come and I want to I help them. I want to make sure that they are well taken care of. Well, the Jews, they found a way around that. They found a way around taking care of their parents. They, they simply just needed to call their stuff Corbin. They needed to call their stuff like holy treasures set aside for the church in some way, set aside for God in some way. And so if someone was like, man, your, your 401k is looking pretty good. Yeah, it's holy money though. So sorry, can't, can't help you. It's holy money. Um, my vacation is holy stuff that I need to take care of. Like, and that's what they were doing. Rather than taking care of their parents, they were like, you know what? I know it says I'm supposed to take care of my parents, but I'm not actually going to take care of my parents because all this extra money that I have is actually holy money. And the fact that Jesus brings it up, you know that it's true, <laughs> right? You know, you know it's not like some misunderstanding, like, oh, maybe they were actually using it for holy stuff. No, this was a very real issue, especially for teachers of religious law. They're exploiting a loophole that their tradition created to subvert God's law. Well, this is just the way that we do things. It's Corbin. They just tell mom and dad their stuff was dedicated to the Lord, and they wouldn't be getting anything. Cold hearts, man. And so Jesus tells them that like, they've made the laws of God ineffective by their traditions. And so then Jesus goes on in verse 14. It says this, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him, to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. One of my favorite starts to a verse, verse 18. Are you so dull, he asked? Like, 
are you guys really that dumb? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So you Old Testament buffs, you would know that Jews weren't allowed to eat certain foods that weren't kosher. And so in Jesus saying this, hey, you can essentially eat whatever you want, guys. Bacon is back on the table. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Okay, so real quick, in your Bible, some of you may notice that verse 16 is missing. Okay, verse 16 is also missing on ours as well. So this is for you Bible nerds out there. Some of you guys are going to think this is the coolest thing ever. Others of you are going to be like, whatever, and forget about it in a couple seconds. Okay, this verse is missing actually out of most modern translations. This verse, some version of this, uh, it essentially says, he who has ears, let him hear, right? Mark has already said this in Mark chapter 4, but when the King James Version of the Bible was written a long time ago, that version of the Bible adopted that phrase and smacked it at the end of verse 15. And so it's listed as verse 16. So most of your Bibles will just have like 16 with little brackets around it or just say 16 and then move straight on to 17. Or the verse will be italicized, right? And then there's a note at the bottom that says, most modern translations think this was added after the original text. All that to be said. Most likely a scribal error. Some Bibles have it. Some Bibles don't. It does not change the story, though. It does not change the passage. It just it does not change the scripture at all. And if you want to read more about it, you nerds out there, just Google Mark 7:16 issue, and you'll get a whole lot of stuff that you can nerd out about. Anyway, let's move on. In these verses, okay, Jesus sheds some much-needed light on this subject, right? First, Jesus tells the crowd that it's not what comes into the body, like eating with unwashed hands or anything like that, that causes spiritual defilement. It's those things that arise from within the heart of a person that defile that person. That sin nature that we talked about on, that we talk about on a regular basis. The fact that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior, Hey, the disciples, they're confused about this, though, right? So confused that Jesus calls them dummies. He's like, hey, dummies, listen up. They ask Jesus about what he means, and he gives them a quick lesson at that point in anatomy, right? Things that you put in your mouth never make it into the heart. Comes in, comes in one side, goes out the other side. Like, you guys understand basic anatomy, right? So those things aren't what defile you. It goes into your stomach. That's it. And then it exits the body. The thing that defiles you is your heart, and your heart has nothing to do with the food that you eat. It has nothing to do with the outside, with the exterior, with your, the unwashing, uncleansed hands that you are, you are using to eat. And they, they're just confused. But Jesus is telling us that external things cannot cause spiritual defilement. In verse 20, Jesus reveals that spiritual defilement is always the result of a defiled heart. Always the result of a defiled heart. Every sin we commit, whether it's a sin of the body, sin of the mind, has its birth in our hearts. It's never somebody else's fault that you are sinning. I don't care what temptation that you face. I don't care how good the chocolate chip cookies are. I don't care what advertisement was put up and popped up on your computer. 
I don't care how bad your financial situation is, any sin that you commit is your sin from your defiled heart. The Bible's very clear about that. It's our own actions. That's why this whole like Jesus being tempted in the wilderness all the way back, right? Like, like he was tempted, but he didn't sin. Why? Because his heart was not defiled. So for us, with our defiled hearts, when temptation comes in, yep, we're going to go ahead and take that bite. We're going to take that one step that we probably shouldn't have, have taken. So every sin that we do is because of defilement within our hearts. Keeping external rules. Hear me, you type A's, and I get it, and I picked on you last week, I'm going to pick on you again this week. Keeping external rules will not change your heart. It never will. Like, it can make you feel better for a while. My life is in order, right? And I have, my, look, my library is alphabetized. Keeping external rules will not change the heart. And finally, in verses 21 through 23, Jesus gives us a partial list of the attitudes and actions that cause this spiritual defilement. Right? These are the things that, that make us unclean in the sight of God, the actual things that make us unclean in the sight of God, not uncleansed hands, not breaking the foolish rules made up by foolish men. These are the actual things. Hear me, even if the outside is right, these things will defile you when they reside in your life. Even if you're shiny and perfect and showered and Bible carrying and you got your shiny shoes on and your collar and all that stuff, these things will defile you when they reside in your life. Here's the problem. Slapping a religious patch on a defiled heart will not make things right. It never will. The religious Jews did everything by the book. These Pharisees did everything by the, by the book. They made laws on top of laws on top of laws, and they followed every single one of these rules to the best of their ability. We're going to follow these rules. Look how holy we are. Look how close to Jesus we are. And still, even when they followed every single one of those rules, even when they slapped that religious patch onto themselves, they are still the ones responsible for sending Jesus to the cross. Religious patches don't work. Outwardly, they were clean. Inwardly, they were defiled. But they wanted everybody to know how clean they were. Wanted everybody to know how good they looked. Everybody to know how close to God they actually were. Jesus, at this point, he's not fooled by human nature. Like, he knows exactly what's going down. He knew that men were sinners. These men are sinners. And they are capable of any sin imaginable. Men are still sinners. Read all of Romans chapter 3. Want to feel great about yourself? Read Romans chapter 3. Every person in this room is capable of every sin in that list we just covered and more. Why? Because it all comes from the heart. It's all a sin issue. It's all a heart issue. The reality is, is that, that in this room, or whether you're watching online, Wherever you may be when, when you are hearing this right now, there are hearts that are still defiled and you're pretending and you're pretending. There are hypocritical masks being worn in order to make everybody assume that you are good and Jesus really does have a hold on your life when in reality, it simply isn't true. Now, the biggest issue in Western Christianity, that right there. Being so good at playing the game, 
being so good at playing Christian that you can fool everybody. And here's why, here's why that's dangerous. There's zero accountability in your life at that point. There's no one who can hold you to account because you don't let anybody in close enough to be able to peek behind the mask. You put those buffers in place. Make sure everything is, everything is good and, and getting good at the game, it's a dangerous place to be. It's, one of, the, it's the re, one of the main reasons we push small groups so hard. Like, yeah, we want you to come here. We want you to learn on Sunday morning and worship and there's something to corporate worship. Hebrews even talks about that idea. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, you'll hear some teaching, you'll sing some songs and all that stuff, but this, this is not doing life together. This is not community. I mean, it's a loose community. But it's why we push small groups so, so people can actually speak into your life, so, so you can read the Word of God, you can study the Word of God, you can talk about what's going on in your life, and so that people actually have the ability to see behind the mask that we constantly want to wear to protect ourselves. I can't let anybody in because if I let somebody in, they're not going to be, man, they're going to see the mess that my life actually is. And if they see that, man, I don't know if they'll like me anymore. I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready to have a hard conversation like that. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. That's what the Bible is supposed to do for us. Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, sharpening one another, right? That's what Jesus is doing here with these Pharisees. He's calling them on it. Like, you want to be a religious leader? You want to be someone who claims to know God and love God in a real way? Then you got to get your act together because you're hurting the kingdom. Jesus rebukes them. Man, this is a scattered deck of cards, and he's just like, we're just going to get this thing set straight. And that's what he's doing here. And all of, like, that, that is the purpose of the body of Christ. To be able to call one another to account. It's the purpose of small groups. To learn about God's word and then, then put it into place in your life. And sometimes that requires having really not fun conversations with people that you love a whole lot. For the sake of the kingdom. It's one of the reasons that, like, like I, don't, I don't make decisions in a vacuum in my office. I don't just, like, go in there and be like, oh, I'm going to find out new theology today. This is now what we believe about God. No, any big decision that we have to make, like, I go and talk to our pastoral staff. That's the reason we have a board, so I can be held accountable for the, the financial situation that the church is in. Like, I can't just go and, you know, clean out our savings account and be like, hey, let's build a theme park next door <laughs> with $300,000, apparently. Like, having people to hold you accountable in your life to strengthen the kingdom so you can't wear the mask of hypocrite. It's the same reason every September, and I've told you all this before, but every September, I go on a trip with three friends who are not impressed by me. Three friends who don't call me pastor, they call me Pete, <laughs> and they call me on my stuff. What sins are you dealing? They hold me to account. They make sure that I'm not too impressed by myself or about myself. 
They ask me, what sins are you dealing with? How can I help you work through that? Tell me about your year. Tell me about how you're doing as a dad. Tell me about how you're doing as a husband. Tell me about how you're doing with your walk with Christ. What have you learned about Jesus this year that is changing your view on things? And they have hard conversations with me. Why? Because I don't, I don't want to walk around with this mask called hypocrite. And man, those conversations are terrible. You guys sit there and just, you, you sit there and they just like undress you. They take this mask off of you. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a mess. Like I'm a mess, but I'm doing my best to, to, to just love Jesus and honor him with my life. And so, yeah, there's these sins that I have going on. Can you help me walk forward with that? Can you help me strengthen the body? You know, that's what rebuking and correction does. That's why when I say, man, you get to rebuke people, it's not like, oh man, I'm so excited to yell at that person. <sighs> Woo! No, it, you get to do that because it strengthens the body of Christ. It makes it so that, that, that when we are living outside of these walls, when we walk off of this patio, that we're not walking off with, with these hypocrite masks and we go and walk around and do whatever we want and then people find out we're a Christian are like, what, you're a Christian? I never would have guessed that. Why? Because we're wearing our mask. It's, again, we, we don't have small groups launching right now. Those don't happen until September. And we have some small groups who meet throughout the summer because they recognize the importance of it. A lot of us take a pause because summertime. But man, it, like if you are not in community, if you don't have somebody that, that you are trusting, and it can't just be your spouse, by the way. If you don't have other believers in your life that you are trusting enough to, to, to allow them to peek behind the mask, this mask of hypocrisy, to let them see the mess, let, to, like, to let them in to the spiritual state of your heart. Get plugged into a small group. Find community somewhere. This total congregation, family of God, not complete and total interconnected community. It's not possible. You can't know everybody here, at least not well. I don't even know half of you. And I like even less. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But if the church actually got serious, the American church actually got serious about making sure that we are holding one another to account, about making sure that we are holding our people, the body of Christ, our community, to making sure that we are saying, you are hurting the kingdom of God when you do this. It strengthens us. And it allows the body of Christ to be more effective at reaching those people who are not yet part of the body. That's why it's important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. God, thank you for, for rebuke and correction. And God, I pray for hard conversations in the room that maybe need to be had. Where someone needs to have a conversation with somebody else about an issue that maybe is a blind spot in their life. Maybe it's not a blind spot. Maybe they know about it and they just need to have a conversation about it. But God, I pray right now that you would reveal the points in our life, the areas in our life that may be blind spots where maybe we are, we are covering up these areas to make everybody think that we have it all together. 
God, I just pray that we would live lives of authenticity. That we would be okay confessing our sin because then the kingdom of God becomes stronger in that. That we would be people who seek community because it makes your kingdom stronger. Because it makes your kingdom more potent. Because as we live in community, we become more and more like you as hard conversations are had. And as we look more and more like you, we can then impact our community in a more real and effective way. Father, we're thankful for you, thankful for your son. And maybe with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you have not yet said yes to Jesus. But this idea of living correctly, this idea of community, this idea of recognizing that your heart is defiled and the only way that it can become undefiled is for Jesus to come and replenish it, to give you a new one. If that's you this morning, you haven't said yes to Jesus, we just ask that you make a profession of faith this morning. Pray along with me. Simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize my heart is defiled. But B, I believe you sent your son to the cross to die for my defiled heart, to die for my sins. My sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow and see that I would choose to follow you every single day by allowing people to see what's behind that mask and doing our best to authentically work out our faith. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.